Blog Talk Radio. Saturday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. Uh, goodness, it's been quite some time uh, that I've done my program on a Saturday instead of a Friday, uh, but here we are. And uh, today's April fifteenth, traditionally tax day, but that won't happen till Tuesday. But it's because of tax day that I had to skip my show yesterday, uh, a visit with the dreaded accountant to get my paperwork in order to comply with the IRS that we are being warned will be ever more di- diligent since they've been given thousands and thousands of new agents, auditors, and other personnel to make certain that Americans stay on the straight and narrow. Absolutely amazing, um, because what bothers me, and, and, and this goes back, by the way, to something that I said when I was on Neil Cavuto's program years ago. Neil said to me, or asked me, I should say, this is during, I believe, the Obama administration. He said, Mike Cutler, when will you be satisfied that our immigration laws are actually being enforced in a way that makes you happy? And my answer shocked him. And I did it, you know, on the fly. I hadn't been giving this any prior thought. I didn't know what he was going to ask me when I came on the show. And I said, Neil... When an alien receives correspondence from the DHS and reacts with as much consternation as you or I would react to correspondence from the IRS, I will then be satisfied that our immigration laws are truly being enforced in a reasonable way. Think about it. Immigration fraud, people lying on applications for visas, green cards, all sorts of benefits, passports. Immigration fraud was identified by the 9-11 Commission. And remember, I gave testimony to the 9-11 Commission. Uh, They identified immigration fraud as the key method of entry and embedding for the terrorists. And not just on 9-11. They looked back 10 years prior to the attacks. And I believe that it was over 90 uh, aliens were looked at, and the great majority of them used immigration fraud. Now, interestingly, uh, I've testified before numerous hearings in the House and Senate before committees and subcommittees. My very first hearing was con- that where I participated was back on May 20th, 1997, four and a half years prior to the terror attacks of 9-11. And the focus of that hearing was immigration fraud and visa fraud and was predicated on the terror attacks that were carried out in the United States in 1993. First, the shooting at the CIA by a Pakistani national by the name of Kansi, and then the following month, the first bombing at the Trade Center. Now, the shooting at the CIA cost several CIA agents their lives. Others were wounded. This guy got his hands on an AK-47, that is to say Kansi. And so when he jumped out of that van, because his van, he belonged to a courier service, had a sticker that allowed him to park in the CIA parking lot. And he jumped out with an AK-47, not with packages, and opened fire on cars being driven by CIA officials coming to work that morning. 
He fled the country, which is something bad guys from other countries can do. They have a trap door that they can frequently avail themselves of, <clears throat> get out of Dodge, and get beyond the long arm of our law. But in this case, given the nature of the crimes that he committed, he was brought back here. Our intelligence people working with uh, Pakistani intelligence grabbed him, brought him back, put him on trial. He was found guilty, executed, but it didn't bring back the dead or heal the wounds of those he shot. A month later, first bombing at the Trade Center, over a thousand injured, a half billion in damages. I speak about it all the time because I can't make the point frequently enough. Both cases involved aliens who had access to motor vehicles. In fact, the bombing of the Trade Center involved an illegal alien who rented the van and another illegal alien who drove the van. They didn't run the border. They came through ports of entry and violated the terms of their admission. This is why interior enforcement is so damn important. We're going to get into it in a little bit. But I just want to give you a little bit of background of where we are and how we, we got here. And, and the real problem is that neither party is willing to do what needs to be done to protect America where immigration is concerned, because immigration has gone from a law enforcement system that's really common sense. Aliens do not have an inherent right to enter the United States. Uh, if you want to watch an interesting movie, I recommend The Bridge of Spies with Tom Hanks. It, it chronicled how uh, Francis Gary Powers, an American U-2 spy pilot, was swapped for Rudolf Abel, a Russian spy who was arrested in Brooklyn back in the 50s. And it's interesting because immigration played a role in the arrest of Rudolf Abel. And the judge in the film um, doesn't understand Tom Hanks' questioning how he was arrested, whether the warrants were properly obtained. And he said, wait a minute, this guy is an alien who shouldn't be here. Don't tell me about warrants. You know, that was the judge's attitude. And increasingly over time, lawyers have worked diligently to bestow all kinds of rights on people who are here illegally. And I don't believe it's done because of their concern about civil rights. And certainly I, I agree with civil rights and all that and due process. It's about making work for lawyers and many people that are members of Congress, and not just in Washington, legislative bodies around the country are lawyers. They have a vested interest in making work for themselves and their colleagues. Make no mistake about it. They really have a conflict of interest. Bob Goodlatte, the former Republican chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, which oversees, among other things, immigration, was an immigration lawyer who loved H-1B visas. He and I had a confrontation over that. <clears throat> Zoe Larkin, who now chairs the immigration subcommittee in the House, is an immigration lawyer. And, and so the whole point that we need to understand is, number one, I do believe that anybody in the country accused of a crime should have all the, process, all the protections of due process, and I'll, and I'll tell you why real quick. Um, it's, it's about justice to begin with. You don't want to convict somebody for a crime they didn't commit simply because it's easy, and you get unscrupulous prosecutors, and we're seeing no shortage of those, okay, uh, who can say, wow, it's so much easier to, to score a kill to get a conviction if aliens somehow had less protection under the law in terms of due process. So this would mean two things. People would go to jail for crimes they perhaps didn't commit, and the bad guy is still out there endangering more people because once you convict the supposed criminal who committed the crime, no one's looking for that criminal anymore. He or she is in jail. 
So it continues to endanger public safety, national security, and so forth. But this notion that aliens have every right to come here, uh, it doesn't work that way. You know, as, as individuals, we have the right to lock our door at night and tell people you can't come in. The only way that law enforcement could come into your house is if they have a warrant or in, their, in a hot pursuit situation. But in America, that locked door is sacrosanct. You have every right to keep people out, to keep strangers out. That's what our border is like. And suddenly we're told that if you want to have an open border, you're pro-immigrant, that if you want to have a secure border, you're anti-immigrant. It's the biggest pile of nonsense that I've ever heard in my entire life because in point of fact, frequently it's the immigrants who do everything they can to come here. They want to live in America. They do what they have to do. They go through the process. They're trying to get away from the corruption and the crime of their home countries. And because of where we are today, they come to America, and lo and behold, they wake up and find that the same criminals they were running from in their home country are living with them right here in, in the United States. And it's not just Latin America. It's the Russian mob. It's Asian organized crime. You name the group, because human nature is human nature. Immigration isn't about race. And when Donald Trump said there's a lot of bad hombres out there, I had a meltdown. I mean, I know he wanted to sound macho and put a little swagger into the statement. But hombres? Um, let me tell you, I got an award from the government of Japan, the Japanese National Police, for helping them with a drug smuggling case involving a woman who was Japanese who was smuggling cocaine from the United States into Japan. I don't think she was Latina. I arrested an individual wanted for murder in Israel. I did a lot of work with the Israeli National Police. They're not Latinos. I worked with New Scotland Yard to capture an individual wanted for murder in England. He wasn't a Latino, and we go down the whole list. This isn't about race, although Pelosi and the other globalists will tell you, oh, this is about race, and it's about being a hater. What I hate is violence. What I hate is to see innocent people set upon, raped, assaulted, and killed by thugs who have no right to be here and have no right to be out on the street among us. A society is measured by the way it protects its most vulnerable citizens. That's the way you measure a society. How do you take care of those people who lack power, whether it's physical strength or political power? And in America today, it seems like it's not so much what you know, but who you know and who you're giving campaign contributions to. And both parties bear responsibility for that mindset. Everybody knows that interior enforcement is critical for effective immigration law enforcement. And, and yet while we have tens of thousands of IRS agents lurking in the shadows, looking for Americans to trip up on a tax return. We have 6,000 ICE agents, and because of the way George W. Bush put DHS together, the Department of Homeland Surrender, as I came to call it, most of the time, even under the best of circumstances, they're too busy chasing people that manufacture counterfeit Gucci loafers rather than counterfeit passports. It's because interior enforcement works. Think about that. And we're going to get more into interior enforcement because I know I'm always advocating more interior enforcement, and, and you really need to understand how it would work and why it's so damn important. I would argue even more so than, than more Border Patrol agents. And I'm not saying they're not essential. They are. I'm a big fan of the Border Patrol. Uh, when I came on board with the INS back in 1971, um, I was immediately, or it took a couple of months, but I was sent to Border Patrol Academy in, in Texas for my training. 
So the Border Patrol is significant, but it's not the be-all and end-all of immigration law enforcement. That's all that the politicians want you to think about. Keep looking at the southern border. Ignore what's happening on the northern border. Ignore what's happening through international airports where most of the terrorists of 9-11 and prior to that and since then have come through. Again, the Mexican border is a disaster, and it's dangerous because we know that human traffickers and drug smugglers are working with the Mexican cartels and with Hezbollah. Iran has sent thousands of their operatives into Latin America, moving people and drugs into the United States to destroy our society. And boy, are they doing a job on us to gather money they can use to launch terror attacks and maybe fund their nuclear program, right? And also enable sleeper agents to enter the country who can be called upon if Iran decides to start blowing stuff up inside the United States. I wouldn't doubt that other countries like Russia might well have positioned their people here. Okay, maybe North Korea. Um, Look at all the espionage that's been happening by China. When you look at Chinese espionage in America, you're looking at an immigration story, but nobody wants you to realize that. These are aliens who were admitted into the United States on student visas or with other visas, and then they picked our pockets, you know. Chinese espionage is so pervasive that the intelligence community sarcastically calls it Chinese takeout. How did these aliens come here? Mostly through international airports, but we're now seeing huge numbers of Chinese citizens coming across the Mexican border. And why not? There is no border between the United States and Mexico, thanks to Joe Biden and his corrupt administration, including Alejandro Mayorkas, who, by the way, when he was the head of citizenship and immigration services for Obama, ordered that almost every application for every immigration benefit be approved, even if statutorily they were ineligible. Get to yes or else. And when people didn't get to yes, they paid with their careers. They were demoted. They were suspended. They were fired. They were relocated. And, in fact, the Office of Inspector General accused him after an investigation of doing the bidding of politicians like Terry McAuliffe giving visas, uh, treaty trade visas to people who had political connections. Even when the FBI and Homeland Security investigations told Mayorkas, according to the Inspector General and according to an extensive ABC News report way back when, and said, you must not approve visas from this particular company. It's linked to Iran, and we believe that Iranian spies and terrorists are availing themselves of visas. You must deny the applications. Mallorca said, basically, go to hell, and he approved every last one of those applications for visas after he was warned by the FBI and by Homeland Security investigations that the people getting the visas might well pose a threat to U.S. national security. And when the Republicans told the Democrats about this, when Mayorkas was selected by Biden to become the head of Homeland Security, the Democrats said, we don't care. We don't care. Wow. We don't care. It doesn't matter if you pose a threat to national security because we don't care. Truly incredible. And that brings us to Jack Texera. Now, let me be clear. Um, National Guardsman Jack Texera is accused of leaking Pentagon documents. Accused. Not found guilty. We don't know where this is going yet. I want to be very clear about it. But let's presume that the allegations are true, that you have a 21-year-old National Guardsman who has keys to the kingdom. He can see the same materials that the the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff can see. Doesn't that take your breath away? I had a top-secret clearance. Texera's clearance was well 
uh, was much higher than my own. And every couple of years, I had to have my clearance renewed, as did all of my colleagues. And no one seems to be asking any questions in the news. I find this remarkable. They're reporting about the leaks. They're reporting about the website. But they're missing some really important questions. And it's always about the art of the question, isn't it? First of all, and, I, and, and they really, Congress needs to exercise oversight and find out how thoroughly he was vetted. That is to say, Mr. Texero was vetted before he was given his security clearance. What measures were taken? Did they dig into his internet uh, connections? Did, he dig, did they dig into social media? Did they look at finances? Did they look at his neighbors and friends? Because that's what they're supposed to do. A security clearance isn't a guarantee that the person isn't going to do something crazy in the future. It's like when they talk about these companies, you know, past performance is no guarantee of future performance. Well, that's true. But you dig into the person's background to see if there's any red flags that alarm you that this person should not be trusted with sensitive material that could undermine national security or the security of our allies, which seems to be the case. Again, uh, we're, we're flying blind and we'll probably never know the full extent of this because of the extreme nature, the extreme sensitivity of the documents that purportedly he put out there. But this is insanity. So the first question is, how thoroughly was he vetted? What did that process look like? Has it changed under the Biden administration over, let's say, the Trump administration? How thoroughly did they investigate this kid? How long did the investigation take? My security renewal took months. I'd like to know how quickly he was given this super top secret clearance at the age of 21. And, you know, at the age of 21, you don't have that much of a track record to rely on either. So the whole idea about someone that age working for the National Guard, not even a regular in the Army, wow, wow. How did that happen? Who in the chain of command that he answered to signed off on his security clearance? Shouldn't that person be interviewed? I hope he is or she is. How many more people were given security clearances in what might well be a lackadaisical fashion? Now we come to another issue about a security clearance. Many years ago when I was a single guy, I dated a young lady who was an FBI agent, and many of my friends uh, were from the FBI, DEA, ATF, as part of the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, I had desks at all these other agencies. Now, it's not enough that you have a security clearance that's high enough for you to see certain sensitive materials. You also have to have a demonstrable need to know. Need to know. No one's even talking about that. So if I was having dinner with my buddies or this young lady I dated many, many years ago, uh, I might say to her, how was work? And she would say, well, we did a surveillance today. How did it go? We met our objectives. I couldn't possibly ask her what the objectives were, who she was surveilling, nothing like that, because I did not have a need to know. And I was working investigations that had national security implications of the DEA intelligence. And she might say to me, how did your day go? Oh, we arrested a guy we've been looking for for the last two years. Anybody get hurt? No, went down real smooth, got a gun off the guy. Everybody's alive and well. Good day, good day at work. And then we would move on to talk about a movie we might, we might want to go see. Why? Because although we had sufficient clearance to get access to that material, the caveat was 
do you have a need to know? Those reports are not like going to the library. Oh, it's raining out. I think I'll pull out a, a top secret report because it's interesting. I'm curious about it. No, no, no. You only access security material when you have a need to know, meaning that that material is essential to an investigation that you're conducting. Period. Full stop. So what was Mr. Texera's assignment with the National Guard that everyone felt comfortable that he had a need to have access to the documents that he leaked? Did anybody oversee the documents that he pulled or the computers that he accessed? Where was the accountability in his chain of command? How many more people are out there right now operating the same way and posing a potential threat to U.S. national security, international relations between the United States and our closest allies, and the potential that leaks of these documents and information could cause the death of of, of operatives, of, of informants, of spies, and so forth. This is serious. You know, if you go to the movies and you watch Mission Impossible or any of these other movies, there's always the concern that they're going to compromise the list of agents and people are going to die, right? How many times have you seen that premise in the movies? That's what we're talking about right now. That's what, if the allegations are true, we are now actually talking about, that methods and personnel may well have been compromised by a 21-year-old who had apparent unfettered access to the materials, again, if the limited information being made available in the public realm are, are, are true. Think about the enormity of this. Thousands of people with access to information that could have a profound impact on America's national security, the security of our allies, our relationship with our allies, and ultimately with the lives of those people that we rely upon to get us the intelligence that our military and, and law enforcement agencies need in order to keep our public safe and our country safe, national security and public safety. No one's talking about that. No one's talking about need to know. No one's talking about the chain of command. Who signed off on the request to give this guy that super top secret clearance? And so now we come back to the Biden administration because, as Harry Truman said when he occupied the Oval Office, he had that little plaque on his desk, the buck stops here. At the end of the day, the administration bears responsibility. I wish this was the only screw-up. Let's go back to Afghanistan and that absolute disaster. Let's go back to the fact, and I think I discussed it last week or a couple of weeks ago, it's been a while, um, that the FBI has been granted roughly $15 million in emergency funding to try to figure out who we let in from Afghanistan. We let them in during that chaos, right? Think about that. And the people at the Pentagon said, oh, there was no chaos. It was good. We did a great job. You should congratulate us. Great job. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Great job. So thousands of people from Afghanistan, a terrorism hotspot, were brought to the United States by the Biden administration, not the Trump administration, the Biden administration. They made the call, okay? Surprised they might to put everything on Trump. It was the Biden administration that did that, okay? And so the the obvious question, okay, If, if it was not chaotic, why is the FBI now being given $3 million? I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's a significant amount of money to try to hunt down the thousands of Afghanis that we let in in the midst of that chaos. 
And how many terrorists do you really need to do damage to America? You know the old joke of how many idiots do you need to screw in a light bulb? How many terrorists do you need to do great damage? On September 11, 2001, the magic number was 19. If you look at what happened in San Bernardino, the magic number was two. If you look at the Boston Marathon attack, the magic number was two. So that's what asymmetrical warfare is. On 9-11, more people were killed by 19 hijacker terrorists than we lost to the entire Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, to put that in perspective. And probably more people are now dead because of illnesses that resulted from their exposure to toxins released from the towers collapsed that actually died on 9-11. So what does that mean? Well, it means that 19 terrorist hijackers, barely out of their teens for the most part, took the lives of more than twice as many people who were lost to the Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941, and the death count continues to climb. Billions of dollars have been allocated to treat the victims, treat their families. They came home. Uh, Their clothing contained the contaminants and the toxins and so forth. Uh, and, and so this has been a catastrophe. This has been a catastrophe. And it's remarkable, after the January 6th riot that you have politicians on the left, we need a 9-11-style commission to figure out what happened. Okay. I wonder if they read the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel, which is an official report about it, or the 9-11 Commission report altogether. Because, again, we come back to immigration being the focal point. Immigration failures. I mean, that's what is so incredible to me. So on the one hand, I I really think that we really have to have our oversight committees take a very hard look at how Texera got a security clearance, what it entailed, how long it took, how many people were involved in the investigation, who authorized it, how many more people were authorized to get similar clearances, perhaps unnecessary clearances, perhaps, again, don't know. I'm not making accusations, just asking the questions that everybody should be asking, don't you think? Why in the world aren't we doing that? Why in the world is no one paying attention to the damage that's being done? This is what we need to be doing. Figure it out. How did he get his clearance? Why did he get that clearance? And was he encumbered by the notion of need to know? And if not, why not? And if he was, was that enforced? If so, by whom? And if not, who screwed up? Lots of questions. And potentially lots of people that need to be looked at to figure out what the hell is happening. And one of the things that disturbs me also, again, not an allegation, just raising a question. Hunter Biden you look at the laptop and look at the allegations and look at all the money, could be vulnerable to blackmail, and consequently his father could be liable to blackmail. I remember as a brand-new immigration officer at the academy, they told us, be careful, do not go out with anybody of the opposite sex or whatever uh, who might be here illegally because you could be blackmailed. Be careful about your relationships with people off the job because that could subject you to blackmail, extortion, You don't need the aggravation. Be careful. That's the whole point about being compromised. 
that someone has the goods on you. And when you look at how much Chinese money has been spent in the United States on political campaigns, you look at Swalwell, uh, you look at all these characters, Diane Feinstein's chauffeur, and on and on and on. Is it possible that the Chinese are bringing pressure to bear against our political leaders, telling them that we're going to do what we're going to do and don't you dare get in our way or we're going to go public with information that would be very embarrassing and damaging to you personally? Is that not a possibility? That's part of why they do a security clearance. By the way, that was the reason that Jeff Sessions had to recuse himself about Russia because the DOJ determined that any incidental contact that Jeff Sessions might have had with the Russians uh, would have called into question his objectivity and so forth. And, and that was the origin of the reason that Sessions had to recuse himself. I had an old-time boss way back when I started. His name was Frank Johnson. I had tremendous respect for Frank. He was one of those guys who was really a role model. He held himself to a higher standard than he held the agents under his command. He was one of these guys who would wear uh, any colored shirt as long as it was starched white. It's kind of like the old Model T Ford. You can get it in any color as long as it was black. Well, Frank Johnson wore white shirts, super starched, you know, very subdued clothing. Um, the guy was an interesting character. I learned a lot from him. His issue was fraud. He ran the fraud unit before he became the chief of investigations in New York. And he would always end meetings with the agents by saying that as federal agents, it's not enough that you don't engage in wrongdoing. You must never even give the illusion of doing wrong. Don't even give the illusion of doing wrong. Think about that. I remember one incident. I was a brand-new agent. I stopped to get lunch at a restaurant across the street from our old office, right across the street from the World Trade Center, by the way. The Trade Center wasn't just some building in New York. It was part of my everyday life. It was uh, like my living room in my house. You know, I attended many meetings at the World Trade Center. They had an employee cafeteria that we were permitted to use as federal employees. U.S. Customs was there. Secret Service was there. So I was in and out of those buildings at least a couple times a week. And so here we were across the street, or I was, and I believe the name of the restaurant was the Three Bears or the Five Bears. I knew some, somehow there were bears involved. And I was sitting there having my lunch, and I had just ordered my dessert, my chocolate pudding, which was my favorite. And an immigration lawyer sidled up to me, and I was sitting at the counter, and he said, Mr. Cutler, how are you? And I was very uncomfortable because the idea of sitting there having my lunch, and now suddenly uh, I've got an immigration attorney um, intruding on my space, didn't please me. I didn't know how to deal with it. I was a brand-new agent I had less than a year in, and he knew me from my days when I was in the adjudications office and doing the marriage interviews, and he had brought several of his clients into the office that I interviewed, so we knew each other. So I said, I'm fine, how are you? And he started asking me a couple of questions, and lo and behold, one of my bosses walked by, looked in the window, saw me sitting next to this immigration lawyer. And the scowl on this boss's face, wow. And he walked up to me, whispered in my ear, Mr. Cutler, when you finish your dessert, come directly to my office. Do not make any stops. We need to talk. And I had a strong hunch about what this was about. So I quickly gulped down my chocolate pudding, paid my check, put some money on the counter as a tip, 
and literally ran, not walked, across the street to the office, went upstairs, and my boss closed the door, and he said to me, what the hell are you thinking? You're sitting with an immigration attorney, and you're right across the street from our office, and anybody looking at you sitting there having lunch might wonder about why you're having lunch with a person that represents people that you may wind up arresting. And I told the supervisor, he was actually a section chief, I said, look, I was sitting there minding my own business, and this guy came over and sat down next to me. He said, well, what you needed to say to him is, I can't sit here next to you in this restaurant. Please go back to where you were sitting, and if you're not willing to do that, you take your dessert to go or you just get rid of the dessert, pay your check, and get the hell out of there. He said, because anybody walking by and seeing you with an attorney in a restaurant might come to a very wrong conclusion, and that could do irreparable damage to your reputation, your credibility, and perhaps even cause uh, internal investigations to open up a case on you. Do you need this? And he went on and said, you know, if you were working with a prosecutor for years, and very often prosecutors at some point will decide to, to go to the dark side, become defense attorneys. Um, and you may know this guy for many years, and he might call you up and say, my son's being bar mitzvahed, my daughter's being married, I'd love to have you attend. He said, you're going to have to make a hard call about whether or not you think it's appropriate, And you, even though you've known the guy for how many years, because he's no longer a prosecutor. If a prosecutor sat down with you, that's fine. But this guy's a defense attorney. He's on the other side of the fence. And he was right. So this notion of not even giving the illusion of doing wrong, and you look at all the campaign contributions, and today when someone is running for office, nobody talks much about the policies, governance. They talk about how much money they've amassed. How much money they've amassed. That's the requirement? How good are you at getting bribes? I mean campaign contributions. You know, sometimes the lingo just darn right confuses me. This is where we are today. And how many of the people that are in elected office have a conflict of interest? I mentioned Bob Goodlatte, the immigration lawyer who was chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, loved H-1B visas. By the way, he mentioned to me that his son, Bobby Goodlatte, knew quite a bit about immigration, as he put it, and computers, because he told me how his son would love to bring in thousands and thousands and thousands of brilliant Indian computer programmers blew my mind because I was complaining that instead of bringing in foreign workers, we should be cultivating American workers the way we used to do. My, my late first wife, who died uh, tragically decades ago, was a brilliant computer programmer. She had her MBA in computer science, Phi Beta Kappa graduate, member of the National Math Honor Society, and many of her colleagues, Americans, I might add, had similar academic credentials. And, you know, I mentioned it to Goodlatte, and I said, don't you think that this is a disservice to the Americans who've spent their lives in this industry, who've done everything they could to keep up with their training and to excel? And he just looked at me, and he said, yep, that might be your opinion, but my son would love thousands of brilliant Indians, as though Americans are idiots. So I went home, and I looked up his son, Bobby Goodlatte. I recommend you do the same. Bobby Goodlatte got his start with Zuckerberg at Facebook. It was all about bringing in cheap labor. All about bringing in cheap labor. And, and, and therein lies a serious problem, this conflict of interest that plagues us. 
And, and now I, I, I saw where Fox News uh, just posted a story about Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, he's talking about shutting down ATF. And, and, and let me tell you, I, and I understand the concerns about ATF. And again, it's always about who we put into positions of leadership and how these, company, how these uh, government agencies are run. Okay? But I worked very closely with ATF. I had a desk at ATF as well as a desk at the FBI and DEA and worked closely with U.S. Customs and state police, city police, and foreign uh, government, uh, foreign police agencies like the uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, New Scotland Yard, British Customs, and even the Israeli National Police. So I, I got to work with everybody from just about everywhere. ATF was essential to the work we were doing because if we arrested an illegal alien with a firearm, we had to do a gun trace to show that the gun at some point since manufacture was either imported into the United States or crossed the state line. And under the law, and you can see the hypocrisy from the lunatic left, an illegal alien in possession of a firearm or even ammunition involved in interstate commerce, meaning that since manufactured crossed the state line or an international border, is committing a felony with up to 10 years in jail as the, punish, as the punishment. ATF was essential to doing the gun traces and doing all the other stuff. They had a great firearms lab. They could do ballistics. Um, we need to not get rid of agencies, but you need to get rid of the people that shouldn't be in those agencies in the first place. Clean house and make it clear what the mission is and hold them accountable. And not just by these statistics, which largely are meaningless. Figures don't lie, but liars can figure. I've been on programs where people would say, well, under Obama, more people were deported than under this administration or that. Deportations don't necessarily mean anything. It's what happened to the alien when they were deported. Uh, and by the way, if lots of people are trying to enter the United States, it could be because they believe that once they get here, they'll get what they want, which is what you're seeing with the Biden administration. So lots of arrests could be the result of lots of people coming in thinking they can get what they want if they get here. What happens to the aliens after they're identified by uh, the Border Patrol? Well, they're allowed into the United States, and they disappear into the night by the millions. By the way, I have to make the point once again. If you've been following the drought in the West, Biden is now trying to change the way that the water is being distributed to Western states that are suffering from record levels of drought. Now, we could have a discussion about climate change and all this other business, but I'm not going to do that. All I'm going to say is the irrefutable fact is there's a severe water shortage. I mean, L.A., um, you know, dodged the bullet because of the floods and their reservoirs are full. We'll see how long that lasts. But you go a little bit east of California and drought conditions are at record levels. River bottoms are being exposed. This is serious. And so... The president is saying, we're going to have to redistribute the water because it's such a crisis. Why is no one making the point that if, as some people believe, at least 5 million illegal aliens have been admitted into the United States by the Biden administration, each and every person who is here requires on average about 100 gallons of water per day. Think about that. So if... Biden is responsible for 5 million additional aliens entering the United States one way or the other. And what we're really saying is that because of Biden's policies, 500 million gallons of water are being consumed every single day by people who have no right to be here. 
Why is no one connecting those dots and understanding it? This administration is incompetent, and I would argue perhaps corrupt. And again, you have to wonder about following the money. Now, it's interesting because the L.A. Times published an article, and this was on April the 13th, just two days ago. ICE deported him to Afghanistan and flew him back to L.A. So we deported an alien from Afghanistan, sent him back to Afghanistan, where he claims his life could have been taken from him, and then they had to bring him back to the United States. It's like the old Abbott and Costello comedy routine, go ahead and back up. Who is making these decisions? Who is running the show? This is a level of incompetence. I mean, you can't be this incompetent by accident. And by the way, Vivek Ramaswamy, going back to conflict of interest, made a statement, and so many people approached me and said, wow, this guy sounds great. He said, we need to have a merit-based immigration system. But you know what that means? Based immigration system means that we need to bring in people who can work in the United States. And people said, wasn't that good? No. Not if you have Americans who are going to lose their jobs or face wage suppression. You know, everyone says, that the Republicans are looking for cheap labor. I think it's worse than that. They're looking to cheapen labor. What do I mean by that? Well, cheap labor is one thing. If people come in and do the jobs Americans won't do, which is bull, we've always done the jobs. I was just watching a movie about how the subways were built 100 years ago, and the construction workers didn't have modern tools. They had shovels and pickaxes. I mean, think about that, the work Americans won't do. My dad was a tradesman. He was a construction worker. And for my father and his colleagues, no job was too dangerous, too backbreaking, or too dirty. It was a paycheck. It was a paycheck. And there's a job about the TV series, the, the filthiest jobs or the dirtiest jobs. Americans just want to make a living wage. When you flood America with foreign workers, two things happen. Number one, labor is a commodity, and like any other commodity, the more you have, the less valuable it becomes. That's why um, the diamond companies are very careful to not put too many diamonds on the market at any one time because supply and demand kicks in and you cheapen the value of the diamonds. Second of all, aliens from third world countries, even high-tech workers, have a much reduced expectation of wages and working conditions, so that becomes the new norm. And that works perfectly for the executives of corporations while they're screwing Americans, just like Bob Goodlatte's son wants to do, and Bob Goodlatte by extension. So this is where interior enforcement comes in. You're going to hear from some people, oh, what we really need is to have mandatory E-Verify, right, because that would verify who the people are. Not really. Not necessarily. It's a good step. It should be mandatory. But everyone wants a, a magic bullet. We'll put a fence on the border and we can move on. No, immigration is a system with lots of moving parts. So, number one, if we're going to give people visas to come to the United States to take jobs, the first requirement is to make certain that Americans, Americans aren't ready, willing, and able to do those jobs in that general geographic location. See, that's critical. If you don't do the investigations and you allow people to game the system, then Americans will lose their jobs. In fact, there was a, a documentary or a, a video, at least, on YouTube that was put up by the Guild of Computer Programmers, and it was about lawyers on a stage telling other lawyers, now this may sound funny, but your job is to make certain that the aliens get the jobs and you can find a way of disqualifying Americans. 
Why? Because if Americans get the job, then the immigration lawyers don't get billable hours. Okay? So the trick is to swindle Americans out of their jobs to the lawyers' billable hours, and the companies get workers who will work for less than the American workers. So the lawyers make out like bandits, okay? And the corporations make a bigger profit. And who gets screwed? The average American. So that's part of visa fraud, is their integrity to the process by which people are getting visas to work in the United States. So people would say to me, well, you wouldn't want Elon Musk or Albert Einstein to come to America? The answer is no. Absolutely, I want them to come. But Jeff Sessions and I agreed on something. You know, he quoted me from the floor of the U.S. Senate when they wrote an op-ed for the Washington Times uh, back in 2006, I believe it was, about comprehensive immigration reform. I said they should really rename it the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act because we'd be giving millions of people identity documents and lawful status without the capacity to interview them, let alone do a field investigation. It's crazy. And what Jeff Sessions said is what I have said. And in fact, I was in Florida with him and his wife um, in 2014 because the David Horowitz Freedom Center that sponsors Front Page Magazine, where I write my articles, uh, had a panel discussion. And I was honored to be on the panel with Senator Sessions and Congressman Louis Gohmert and another congressman, John Fleming. And Sessions said, if you bring in hundreds of thousands of foreign workers, this isn't about bringing in exceptional workers. This is simply about flooding the labor pool to destroy jobs and wages for Americans. By the way, Bernie Sanders had the same complaint, but he kind of got very quiet, because now it would appear that what the Democrats are seeking isn't just the, the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act, but the Overwhelm America Act on so many levels, destroy the middle class and make everybody dependent on government handouts so that we wind up with only one party, the Democrat Party, because they have the party of the handout. That really seems to be the strategy. And by the way, I'm a lifelong registered Democrat, but these aren't Democrats. I was raised by my parents to be a liberal, which meant that you celebrate the First Amendment. We are all entitled as Americans to speak our mind, to have our own ideas, as long as what you're saying isn't the equivalent of crying fire in a crowded theater or inciting riots. Other than that, you have every right to open your mouth and say what you want without fear. Try that today on college campuses, thanks to the lunatic left. Okay? So understand the problem. And what the problem is, is that neither party gives a rat's tail about the average American. The one question that should be asked of every politician on every level, how are your policies in the best interest of the average American citizen? When was the last time you heard any journalist interviewing any politician on any level asking that question? Don't tell me, oh, they're flying aliens around in the middle of the night. The question should have been, how is that good for Americans? Not America, but Americans. That's why the policies that we should be pursuing today should not be America first, because America first means banks and insurance companies and, and outfits like GM that take billions of taxpayer dollars and then build factories in China. We should be calling this Americans first. And that would be consistent with the vision of Abraham Lincoln who's about an America that had a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Not of the corporations, but of the people, you see. Immigration fraud would enable us to go after the terrorists who lie about their identities, lie about their affiliation with terrorists or criminal organizations, 
And that's all part of interior enforcement. It's not just about arresting illegal aliens. Everyone thinks, oh, okay, interior enforcement, we arrest illegal aliens, and we just go after the employers. It's more complicated. You want to make certain that if someone gets a green card, that they don't pose a threat to our safety. And, in fact, um, right after 9-11, six months to the day afterwards, it was discovered to everyone's shock that two of the dead terrorists, Mohammed Atta and Marwan al-Shehi, they were in the two cockpits of the two planes that slammed into the World Trade Center, and Mohammed Atta was, in fact, the ringleader. They were granted authorization by the former INS to attend, of all things, flight school in Florida six months after the attack. So everybody by then knew, number one, they were dead, number two, they were terrorists. But it wasn't that INS sent it out. They gave a contract to a computer company in Texas to mail out the letters. Why do we need to create these Rube Goldberg devices? When I was an adjudications officer doing the marriage interviews, at the end of my shift, I'd go down to the mailroom and drop the correspondence in, in the mailroom. And then the postal people would come and pick it up at the end of the day, and, and away we went. Suddenly, we have to have a computerized network in Texas getting, I don't know how much money, because that's the big deal. These programs, these contracts give opportunities for companies to make campaign contributions, to get lucrative contracts, and the money goes round and round. Why not simply have the adjudicators do what I did? A handwritten note, congratulations, you've been approved, or your application's been denied, and we've included the paperwork so that you could appeal the decision. Put it in an envelope, drop it in, 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 in the box in the mailroom, and go home at the end of your shift. Very simple. No, now we had to have a computer company send it out, and they screwed up, and they gave authorization to two dead terrorists to go to flight school. I testified at that hearing. And one of the things I said during my hearing, and by the way, um, that hearing is part of the permanent library at C-SPAN, so you can go look at it. And one of the things I said is we need to be careful about how we vet applications for immigration benefits and what databases that we use to make certain that when we approve applications, that we don't inadvertently provide green cards, citizenship, or other benefits to people who are terrorists. That's part of interior enforcement. Working on the Joint Terrorism Task Force with the FBI and other agencies is another example of interior enforcement. You see? It's about going after criminal aliens. It's about working on the um, Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force, where I was uh, for 10 years, because the drug, drug traffickers or human traffickers and so forth, it's a force multiplier. It's a force multiplier. And when you go into court and there's a bail decision to be made, immigration is a key issue about risk of flight and danger to the community. If you're dealing with an alien who has five alternative or alternate identities, five aliases, and was previously deported and came back to the country, which, by the way, is a 20-year felony. I know I, I worked with Senator Aldamato back in the 80s to create that law, something I'm very proud of. Didn't do it in my official capacity. Did it in my capacity as an American citizen. And over 30 of my colleagues worked with me to convince D'Amato I was right and to also go to the Reagan White House. He did to convince the Reagan administration to hold deportation hearings in the prisons. That's also interior enforcement. So along comes George W. Bush and gives us 6,000 ICE agents for interior enforcement and gives them so many other assignments, you know, money laundering, intellectual property theft, kiddie porn, and on and on and on. So with any luck, you might have 2,000 ICE agents in the entire United States of America 
enforcing immigration laws, while the IRS has, God knows how many, tens of thousands of agents and auditors, tens of thousands. And if someone cheats on their taxes, it's a crime, and I think it's terrible, but it doesn't undermine national security. Visa fraud undermines national security. Don't take my word for it. Go back and read the 9-11 Commission report. So we have 2,000 ICE agents that are involved with all of these immigration enforcement activities, going after the employers, going after the frauds, going after the criminals, and on and on. And so now you have rampant immigration fraud. I remember I was in the back seat of a limousine at Chapman University back around 2009 with Michael Chertoff and Asa Hutchins, who's also apparently running for president. And I said to Chertoff, we need many more ICE agents. He said, where are you going to get the money? No one ever asked that question about the IRS, by the way. Where do you get the money? And I said, how many people do you have in the military? 1.4 million? How many people work for TSA? 45,000 back then? And you have basically a couple thousand ICE agents? You want me to tell you where we're going to get the money? And Asa Hutchins says, wow, isn't it amazing the job that Janet Napolitano is doing for the, for the Obama administration, given the fact, given the fact that you know, Obama is so hostile to immigration enforcement. They were just looking to distract me from the point that I was making. Interior enforcement is critical for border security because once you give an alien a green card or a U.S. passport, the border goes away. They can walk through a port of entry, be welcomed into America, and disappear into the night. That's why the terrorists want to get green cards and citizenship. And once you get a U.S. passport, you, change, you can change your name the day you're naturalized. So you get a U.S. passport and an alternate name. They're putting themselves in their own witness protection program. And I raised this issue at a congressional hearing, and to my knowledge, they've still done nothing about it, because the U.S. passport only reflects their new name, not their original name. So somebody might well be on a terror watch list in England or France or Israel, and we give this guy a U.S. passport and a different name, their watch list is now useless because he's going to walk in with that U.S. passport and be welcomed as an American tourist or as an American businessman. That's how dangerous it is. And what are we doing to stop it? Absolutely bupkis. And now you add to that, Mayorkas is telling his people, approve every application for every visa no matter what, even when he was warned that the people involved might have a connection with an Iranian terrorist organization. Wow. Wow. Our immigration laws, simply stated, were enacted and designed to protect public health, public safety, national security, and the jobs and wages of Americans. Nobody ever makes that point, but somebody should. How in the world could any rational person be opposed to laws that are completely and utterly blind about race, religion, or ethnicity? This isn't about race or hating. You don't lock your door at night because you hate people. You do it because you want to wake up alive in the morning. Okay, just think about that. The politicians have sold campaign contributions or bribes, and the American citizens are speed bumps to their agenda that is being sent by the people who bribe them. Politicians are the employees of the special interest groups because once they take the money, they are now beholden to the person who wrote the check. It's an employer-employee relationship, right? 
the employer writes the check and sets the terms of employment. You want to get your next check, you're going to come in at 8 o'clock in the morning, you're going to sit at that desk, and when you answer the phone, this is what you're going to say. You don't want to do it, I fire you. You don't want to pass the laws that I want you to pass, I will give you no more campaign contributions. By the way, Charlie, you can't win an election without money. Guess what happens? The politicians don't do what's in the best interest of either America or Americans, but they do exactly what they're told by the people who own them, the campaign contributors. I was not allowed to accept a cup of coffee when I was on duty. Not a cup of coffee. Remember, it's not enough to not engage in wrongdoing. You must never even give the illusion of doing wrong. Blows my mind. Far more concerned about Americans who might fudge on their taxes than aliens who might come here to blow us up by lying on their applications for visas and, and so forth. It makes no sense. We have how many people dying because of drugs? Discourage drug use. You have nitwits on television boasting about how they like to use drugs. I think it's stupid. I've been drunk twice in my life, to be honest with you. When I was back in college, the first time I thought I was having a terrible experience. The second time I came to the understanding that my first experience was wonderful. Okay, I don't mind a glass of wine or a cold beer, but getting drunk doesn't do it for me. But if you want to use drugs and you're that stupid enough and you're that self-destructive, how dare you go on television and make it sound normal or acceptable? Aren't people dying in large enough numbers that we should be discouraging this kind of self-destructive nonsense? You know, we hear so much about gun control, we don't hear anything about car control, yet cars increasingly or have always been used by terrorists to hold clandestine meetings, to mow people down, to deliver explosives, etc., etc., etc. Almost as many people die because of car accidents every year in America as die because of firearms. I've never heard anybody talk about car control, but we do hear about gun control. There are so many arguments that could be made if the other party, the Republicans, really wanted to make the case. You have to wonder if they really want to make the case. We're not seeing much in the way of leadership, I have to tell you. We, the people, need to stand up and make it clear to the politicians that we're not the imbeciles they've been playing us for. At the end of the day, they are our employees, not the other way around. We need to wake up. America stands at crossroads. There are many risks. And this corrupt and inept administration has done incalculable damage to America and Americans, and it's costing people their lives. We, the people, need to become better stewards of our own government and hold the politicians accountable. And that's the reason that I always make the point that democracy is not a spectator sport. I'm so happy you could join me today. Hope the program uh, was thought-provoking, and if so, please forward the link to the podcast of my program to as many folks as you can and become part of my Bucket Brigade of Truth. Also, please check out my articles at frontpagemag.com or go to my website, michaelcutler.net. See you next Friday, hopefully, folks. Be well. Enjoy the balance of your weekend.